Well, uh, this morning, we are going to continue. We are, we are so close to being done with chapter 1 of Romans. And those of you that are new or first-timers, we've been in Romans since February. We've been in Romans 1 since February. And taking our time and allowing God to speak to us and um, just walk us through the tensions of life. And I just want to remind us, because today will be a reminder day in many ways, um, as we start heading into chapter 2 pretty soon here in just a couple of weeks. But um, I want us to uh, remember that Romans, we're not going through Romans so much exegetically, expositionally, where we're going to study every single word and this and that. Romans provokes a conversation about how we live with Jesus and the tensions of the culture around us. And remember, Rome back then was not too dissimilar to the U.S. now, where philosophies of every kind are present Opinions on everything are present, and uh, we kind of just look at the world as a buffet and can kind of pick and choose what we want. And then guess what we call it? Our truth. Have you heard that phrase? This is my truth. This is how I live because it's my truth. And then that understanding and mentality is promoted. And so we even look at scripture that way. And, and a lot of people in the church even look at church this way. You know, okay, I'm going to take a little bit of this. I'm going to take a little bit of that and a little bit of this, and guess what I'm going to call it? My truth. And Paul is like, no, we're going to live by the truth of Christ, his truth. His truth is my truth. His truth is the truth. And we're going to see a laundry list of things that when we exchange the glory of God, as Paul, Paul states, in this, in this chapter, we exchange the glory of God for something else we want. That's what people do. Even as Christians, we do that. How many of you love Jesus? Raise your hand. How many of you still sin? Yeah, there's an exchange happening. We want, we, what, we want what we want. And then we have that same dilemma. I can't, I don't have this memorized because it's a tongue twister. Even when you're reading it, it's hard. I, Paul says, I do what I don't want to do, and I don't do what I want to do, and whew, and we feel that tension. And what we're going to see in this passage, Paul is addressing humanity. In verse 18, he uses a word in Greek that addresses all humanity. And he uses that same word, anthropos, he uses that same word in chapter 2 when he's talking about judgment and how we need to be careful we don't judge because we do the exact same things we're judging people for. And then he goes on about that. And so we all, at one point or another, are challenged with these things. But how do we make sure our lives do not manifest these things that we're going to read about here? And I'm, I'm not going to read the whole passage because I did that last service and that was half the sermon. So what we're going to do is, is read a more condensed portion of it. But I want us to hear this because this is so often what we can exchange for. This is not an exhaustive list. Sometimes we exchange the glory of God for things that are smaller on the spectrum, but still miss the mark. So, if you would turn to Romans chapter 1 with me, we're going to start at, at verse 28. With the very uh, packed word, therefore. Or furthermore. Furthermore, since they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, he gave them over to a depraved mind to do what ought not to be done. They have become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. 
They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. They are gossips, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, and boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. It does seem odd to be there, but it's there. They are senseless, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Although they know God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death, they not only continue to do these very things, but also approve of those who practice them. Well, I was asking the Lord, Lord, what do you want to say today? And originally, my agenda was to go through each one of those things. And I went, wow, that's depressing. That's discouraging, but it's real stuff, isn't it? But I was thinking, we'll do that, but then we'll be in chapter one for like three years. And if God wants us there, we'll be there for three years. But then I heard the Lord start saying, these are symptoms. And yes, they're important to discuss, but there's a bigger problem. And we see it in the word exchange, that sometimes we want, and oftentimes actually, we want unhealthy desires instead of the glory of God in that relationship. I'm guilty of that. I know that feeling. And sometimes we look at these things that we see that Paul has listed and we try to avoid doing them. Who's done that? I'm going to avoid doing these things. You know what happens when we start trying to avoid doing bad things, I, or especially on those lists? I start to think about those bad things all the time, and then you guess what? I end up doing them. Because they're on my mind all the time. Now, Jesus has a cure for this. Him. He says in John 15, and now we're going to look at John 15 in just a minute here, but John 15, I'm just going to let you know, is a, is a passage we use for correction. It's a passage we use for encouragement. It's a passage we use to put on bumper stickers, T-shirts, everything. But it is so powerful, and it is pivotal pivotal to the relationship between humanity and God, because it is the answer. Jesus says, I am the vine. You are the branches. I am the source of life. You are the branches. Abide in me, and I will abide in you. But apart from me, you can do nothing. So if we focus on just doing, not doing the things we shouldn't be doing instead of yoking ourselves and abiding in the one who will prevent us from doing those things because we'll have no interest in them because our desires are where? Right within. I'll tell you what, how many have tried uh, different diets? I mean, there's a diet for everything now. I'm running out of mental space to remember all the different ones, okay? But I don't sleep well. I... Um, and I have diabetes, so, you know, I thought, well, maybe a change in my diet will help those things, at least sleeping. Now, I'm a meat eater, <laughs> all right? I like meat, and thinking about giving up meat and dairy and cheese and eggs, I'm just going, oh, my goodness, this, this is penance. <laughs> and I'll tell you what, though, it has been helpful, but I love cheese. Anyone love cheese? Okay. And I'm not, I'm not talking about just, you know, the orange cheese you see in the grocery store and you just grab it. Oh, I'm a cheese lover. No. <laughs> Good cheese. That's been thought through. That's been meticulously prepared. 
and I would import it and I would have people import it for me for like birthday presents. Loved it. But I knew I, as much as I love meat, meat wouldn't be my vice. It, it wouldn't be my struggle. It would be cheese. And then I would see cheese on my counter as Shanna's making something. And I'm going, oh my God. Can't do it. Nope, not going to do it. Not going to do it. It ain't happening. And then I see it the next day and the next day. And then I go out with the staff and they want to go to noodles where they make cheese and everything. And cheese is always on my mind. Guess what happened? I ate cheese. You better believe I did. And then once you eat it one, you go, I'm only going to have it one time. Nope. It's now a part of my daily routine. But it's what we do. It's what we do. Oh, I've done it. You know, I've made it 30 days without gossiping. I'm not gossiping. I'm not gossiping. Oh, did you hear Mark Spencer's a loiterer? (laughs) This is not here. This is to bring awareness of behavior. But our behavior really needs to be abiding in Christ Jesus, being where he is. I cannot say it enough. We ask the two questions, and I'm going to say this until you're so sick of hearing it. You, you know, you'll just contemplate putting me on mute because you don't want to hear it anymore. But the two questions, however you want to verbalize them, I don't care as long as the spirit of them is expressed in your posture or your prayers. They put us in, a, in an abiding place with Jesus, a starting point. Because I'm saying, Lord, what do you want to say? Not what I want to say. Because here's the deal. How many have tried to take control of your own life outside of Jesus? And, and it can look good at first. Ooh, I'm making good decisions. Yeah. Making great decisions. Boom. But if you follow that decision-making paradigm without Jesus to its conclusion, what do you get? Nothing. It's terrible. It stinks because we are on shifting sands when we are not on Jesus. When we are not, our lives are not based on Jesus, on the rock, then we are shifting sins. Look, my opinions and my desires change all the time. They are not reliable. They're not. They're, you know, Shanna and I are having our, our third child, and we're really excited, but then comes the dreaded part. It's a good part, but it's also a dreaded part, the names, right? And there are names that I absolutely despised five years ago to the point where Shanna would begin to say them, the first syllable, if it's a two-syllable name, and I would go, Vito, no go. I know where this is. I know where the second syllable is leading us. No. No. And this time I'm going, what about this name? You hate that name. Well, today I don't. (laughs) Well, that's a reliable decision-making paradigm, isn't it? How many of you loved certain foods growing up and now you don't like them? Oh, everything's changing with us. And change is good in some ways, but our decision-making, basing off what we think is real and truth, I would have told you years ago that, okay, I love this type of food. I will always like it. Now I don't like it. That was my truth then, but it's not my truth now. And now (laughs) that's not reliable. 
I have to yoke myself with the truth. I have to abide in the, the truth. I have to be obsessed with him. And that's where we're going to land this morning. And I've, I've shared this in some ways, but today we're going to take a closer look at obsession. When we think of someone obsessed, it's a little extreme. Correct me if I'm wrong. And the things that we're obsessed about. I mean, in today's day, screens are an obsession. They're almost a necessity, are they not? Even to the point where I've heard churches start saying, let's teach our kids to look up and take a breath. I'm serious, slogans. Look up. Look up. Because we're obsessed. And I've heard studies done that some kids now and some people, grown-ups too, are so obsessed they forget to eat and go to the bathroom. True. Obsessed. But there are some good obsessions. And there's one in particular I want to talk about today, and you know where I'm going. That is not only a good obsession, it's encouraged, it's encouraged, and it's encouraged. And that's to ruthlessly be where Jesus is, to be obsessed with it. That it's all I'm thinking about. And we go, and then we make up excuses, though, because we know that, and we'll make up excuses, well, I don't hear God very well. Then you be obsessed about learning to hear God. You be obsessed about being where he is. You be obsessed about figuring out where he is in your life if you don't know. You be obsessed with it because you know he's the only truth and that he loves you and that he will always receive you always. Not only will he receive you, but when he sees you coming, he runs to you. Now, I use um, my children as sermon illustrations quite often, and um, I can't do that with Grace anymore because she's five, and she's very well aware of herself. And, uh, well, she's always been that way, but now we've just capped it at five. Okay, we're going to stop, you know, unless she gives us permission, so I'll ask her permission, and she usually loves me talking about her, so that's not usually a problem. But Emmett has no rights. (laughs) That kid's not even three yet. He's mine. (laughs) And I had the privilege this weekend to watch my kids um, while Shanna was doing photography stuff, and and, um, they're used to me waking up, going to work, or... Uh, I'll be at home, and then I, you know, in the evening, or I'll come home, and then in the evening, i got to go back to work. So Emmett is conditioned to know that when I go to the garage door to get in the garage, I'm leaving. Well, I needed to go throw something in the garage, or get something from the garage, and I heard, no, no, yeah, where are you going, no, and he runs after me, he stands in front of the door, he goes, no. Now, I wish I was exaggerating my kids' posture and the things that they say, but they're dramatic. So I, this is, if anything, this is dumbed down because he will fall to the ground and I just don't want to do that because I won't get back up. But he just, no, you can't go. I said, buddy, I'm just going to go get something out of the garage. No, take me with you. And it's like that. Oh, I can't stand that sound. Uh, do you know the sound I'm talking about? No. Oh. I'll do whatever you want. Just talk normal. <laughs> but he goes, I want to go with you. I said, 
Okay, I admire your commitment and your tenacity. You can come with me. It's only going to take me five seconds. I want to go with you. Okay. And then I come back in with him, and I'm going to the living room. No, wait. What? Buddy, I'm going to the living room. Wait. I will see, literally see you there in five seconds if you follow. No, and wait for me. And so he comes, he grabs me, grabs my hand, and he goes from my hand right down to my ankle. And now I'm dragging him. No. And I'm like, Emmett. And he just hangs on. Now Gracie gets a whiff, and she goes, this is fun. So she comes down, and now she's on my other ankle, and now I'm doing this. And you know as parents, it's bad for the frame. That stuff hurts. But they were relentless in their pursuit. They wanted to be where their father was. And they wouldn't let go. They wouldn't stop. They wouldn't say, they, they wouldn't say, okay, Dad, I need a break. No, I'm the one that needed a break. I was like, come on, this is hurting now. I, you need to let go. And I said that to them. You know what? I got convicted. If they want to hang on my ankles, they can hang on my ankles. Because our father never says, stop hanging on to me. He never says it. He never says it. Oh, I'm tired. Can you let go? No. Are we as obsessed as that? Where we will hang on to our father's leg to the point. I mean, no, no. You are not going anywhere without me. Well, guess what? He doesn't want you to. He doesn't need a break from you. Sometimes I need a break from my kids. He doesn't need one, nor does he want one. Jesus makes that clear. And I believe it's Luke 18, when the kids run up to him. And guess what? The disciples come in and go, nope. And he says, stop it and let them come to me. Because nothing is going to stop them from coming to me. I won't let anything. And sometimes we go, well, my struggles, my pains, my heartaches, all of that sometimes keep me from wanting to go to Jesus. That's a you thing. That is not your situation that's preventing you because Jesus is greater than our situations. He's greater than the challenges. And he says, come to me in all things and I will give you rest. Even in the midst of the storm, come to me in all things. We can't let the things of this world be those disciples blocking us from the arms of Jesus. We've got to run with our wounds in all into his embrace. And he's running at us as we're running at him. And we're abiding. And we're becoming relentless. He's becoming our obsession. I had kind of a tough week because I've got pastor friends, and this breaks my heart to even say it out loud, who are in churches who are removing Jesus from the vocabulary. And these are not little churches. These are churches of five, 6,000 people, and they have become a social justice club or a social club. Because let me tell you what, a church without Jesus is not a church. It now becomes a community club. That's what it is. And more and more churches all over the country are, are now becoming like the world, of the world. They are. And it's heartbreaking. Jesus is the remedy. We will do the right things if we're with him. We will do what he does. Because those of you that have kids know your kids end up absorbing and adopting your behavior. 
the things that you think, the things that you do. Why? Because they are with you. For good or bad, they are going to be a little version of you in some way, shape, or form. But we have a model in Christ Jesus and a relationship in Christ Jesus where it's always good, all the time. It needs to be in every church or else it's not a church. If Jesus is not in the church, if we don't let him in, it's not a church because we've severed the head. He said, abide in me and me and you. And he said, guess what? I'll make it really easy for you. Really easy for you. As far as your understanding, all I want you to do is be with me. That's it. And then all this other stuff that you used to choose and exchange me for, you won't think about it because I'm your obsession. I'm it. I am your obsession. Now, I'm going to close with this. I don't want to clutter anything, and man, am I out of breath. Um, there are people in our lives that we see model the Spirit of God. Do you have them? Can you think of those people? When you're around them, you're like, man, I want more of what that person has. That's how we verbalize it, maybe. Or I want to be where that person is because it feels safe. Or man, I'm learning so much about the Lord from that person. Who, who can think of people like that in your life? Okay. One of those people, for me, was my late grandfather, who was a pastor, and I believe a very good one. And after he passed, our family was trying to discern, what do we do? What do we do with all of his sermon notes? Now, this man was meticulous, meticulous, and keeping his notes, keeping track of them, numbering them. And I've had the privilege to receive a good majority of them. And, you know, I, I was like, I wonder what I will learn. Because I didn't get to know so much of where his heart was at. I saw it modeled, but I didn't get to see so much. And so I start reading these, and I'm just going, oh my goodness, oh my goodness. And I'm saying that because I'm like, he has no idea, because he's gone, what we're doing here. And he was on the precipice of doing this. He was asking the questions, but he lived in a culture and in a time where he didn't have the freedom to necessarily preach the same way we do and, you know, dress in jeans and a, you know, sweatshirt from Salvation Army, you know, whatever. He didn't have that freedom, or at least he didn't think he did, but he was asking the questions. And I remember reading this document he sent as the executive director of the American Baptist Church is how do we take the church into the 90s? Uh, and, but he, he made some points going, nothing will go anywhere, and this is what I want us to leave with. If we leave with anything, I want us to leave with this and ask the Lord about it. Even if you don't remember a thing I said to this point. He said, the church will go nowhere if Jesus is not our magnificent obsession. If he is not our magnificent obsession, we shouldn't even be having this conversation. That was refreshing for me to hear. Because sometimes we have doubts we just do. And I'm going to be vulnerable with you. I go, man, Lord, am I doing what you want me to do? Am I leading in the way you want me to lead? Are we going after the right things? And I really did hear him say, are you going after me? I said, absolutely. He goes, then that's all you need to do. You see our magnificent obsession. I hope that haunts you. 
And I don't mean in a scary, oogie-boogie way. I mean, doesn't leave you because that is where every decision comes from. Am I obsessed with what I want? When I wake up, no matter how I'm feeling, because I'll be, I'll be honest with you, sometimes I don't want to pray. Sometimes I don't want to even ask the question. But as soon as I do ask the question, I start to feel better because I realize he's with me. And when I know he's with me and I'm with him, I have confidence to go through the junk in my life, but also experience great joy in the midst of that junk that I am no longer controlled by my circumstances, but my obsession, which is Jesus Christ. And if we were all obsessed with Jesus in the church, then we're actually the church because Jesus is the head. And now we don't have any more headless churches or social clubs. We have the body of Christ who's obsessed with Jesus. Do we have all the answers for every situation? No, but we have access to the one who does. Your job at the church is the church is not to have the, you know, an answer for everyone's single problem. Your job is to model Jesus and lead people to the heart of God so that he can, he can pour into them and give them answers. We got to make this simple, folks. Our job is not to make everyone comfortable. Jesus, living with Jesus is very uncomfortable. But it's a great joy. Because he is the truth. There, there is no other truth. There isn't. You can try to convince yourself there is, but you'll be disappointed. And you might have a good, a good run with some of your own decisions based off your own truth. And you might go, huh, see? <laughs> I can do this on my own. And then your life comes and you go, okay, snap, I can't do this. That's the reality. What I want us to do as a congregation, you know, there's a mentality out there that as pastors and this and that, we have to, we have to focus on just the community of believers and this and that. You are one of my number one priorities, without a doubt. But my heart is not to keep you in the seats. My heart is to make sure that you feel equipped for when you leave the seats. Because the church is hurting. And if the church is hurting and the world is hurting, who's going to help lead the world? Who's going to help show them? We have to be praying for our other churches around us. No matter what their denomination, no matter what their social opinions, no matter who or what they believe, we need to pray and, and, and intercede on their behalf because this is a kingdom thing. It's not my church, it's Bridgewood Community Church. This is God's church. It's his church. And those other churches are not separate from us. They're part of the body, and we have to be praying for the body that Jesus would become their magnificent obsession if he's not already. And if we can do that, folks, if, that is, if, that, if one life is changed and becomes obsessed about Jesus, that is potent because Jesus took 12 guys. He didn't take 40 million people. He took 12 to influence those 40 million and beyond. And we have more than 12 in here, folks. Is he your magnificent obsession? I like to believe he is. I'm, I, I'm trying to make him my magnificent obsession. It's hard. And we have to give ourselves some grace. Because it's not something, oh, I'm going to decide, oh yeah, you're my magnificent obsession. Because when I wake up the next day, it could be a bad day. So it, it, it's a wrestling match. But are we going to hang on to him? Are we going to be relentless being where he is? Relentless on learning how to hear God. Relentless on learning the things that we use as excuses not to stay with him. 
It's the only way we're going to learn. It's the only way we're going to learn is if we're willing to do the hard work of relationship and the hard work, hard work of understanding, because it is hard work, of how much he loves us. I hope he's everything to us. To my last breath, me personally would say, he's my everything. Before anything, he's my everything. Because there's nothing... There's nothing that follows him on my list that will have the same potency without him. I love my wife more greatly than I ever could because of Jesus. I love my kids more greatly because my love comes from Jesus and not my own version of it. He's got to be our life, our obsession in everything. You with me? All right, let's pray. Lord, we thank you and we praise you. 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 Simply for who you are. Because that enough makes you worthy. Before you've done anything, you are always worthy. So I ask simply in Jesus' name, whether we see you as our magnificent obsession or not, that would still continue to be our goal, that you would be our magnificent obsession. And that focus is the only right focus, to be with you. It's the only right focus. Everything else comes from you. Everything else, everything we do comes out of that, being where you are. So we pray a blessing over our time of worship that we would worship out of our obsession for you. That as we take tithes and offerings that we would give beyond finances, but time, energy, everything out of our obsession for you, our love for you, for you are worthy. And we pray a blessing as we take communion later that we would remember we would remember that you never allow anything on your side. You never allowed anything to prevent us from coming to you. We thank you for that reality, Lord. May we never separate ourselves as the church from you, the head that makes us the church. And we pray a blessing over these other church families that I believe are well-intentioned, but good intentions can still lead us astray. We pray that uh, they would come to a place of clarity where they see you. They see you and cannot deny you. And that they would be unashamed saying the name above every name. Where every knee will bow and tongue confess that you are Lord. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. I am yours. I am yours.